don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is coming out! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. I'm Sean Farrell, the tarsh, bitter palate cleanser in between those oh-so-rich courses of the dulcet tones of Gavin Casey. Joining me in studio today are the one and only Bernard Jackman. How are you? Morning, how are you? Good. Murray Kinsler, how are you? I'm great. That was a very humble introduction of yourself. Yeah, well, humble is my middle name. <laughs> He's sweeping uh, out the sheds. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Murray, you had a busy day yesterday talking to David Nusifora. Among other things, there was other things going on, on across town. Rory Bess. I suppose if we start with the playing side of things and, and some of Rory Bess comments that have, that have come out today, um, detailing, I suppose, the players' view on, on what went wrong at the World Cup. He basically boils, seems to boil down to uh, too much detail, too much tension, too much com- complacency. And he says, we let Joe do everything Joe just needed to trust. I mean, what are, what are your uh, takeaways from, from Rory's um, assessment of, of Japan? Yeah, it was a pretty bruising day for Joe Schmidt all around. Um, I wasn't at the Rory Best gig. He was promoting something across town. I was over at the Aviva Stadium listening to David News for a run through some of the stuff in the IRFU review of the World Cup. Rory Best's comments are, are incredibly scathing. There's, there's no way around that. He's essentially placing a lot of the blame for, for a poor World Cup at, at Joe Schmidt's feet. And it, it, to be honest, like uh, for me reading, I think it's great because it, it, it feels a bit more honest. Now, it probably doesn't reflect the other side, whereas uh, I imagine Joe Schmidt reading and is thinking why didn't they speak up a bit more but he's talking about how in 2018 maybe they had the the freedom the players had a freedom at the end of the week to kind of have their own voice and lead the lead the week into the into the match he's saying in 2019 the end of the week started to be filled up a bit much with coaches I'm quoting this from the Irish Times they have a Gavin Comiskey has a really detailed article with him um, with Rory Best um, and and that's his viewpoint on how the, the kind of leadership element of a change they talk about having a, a meeting on, on the morning of the All Blacks quarter final to run through some plays and feeling that maybe they hadn't emphasised things enough um, and yeah it does feel like from the captain's point of view that, that Joe Schmidt maybe just didn't trust him enough he he had to kind of micromanage everything too much detail um, and too much tension is what he talks about he talks about them being on edge on edge on edge um, and really it's it's quite remarkably honest stuff now Rory Best I know is going to be selling a book I think everyone's going to be buying that in March to find out a little bit more and interesting enough there was almost a little dig in that as well he said he didn't want to be doing his book during the World Cup because he felt that people might be questioning him um, if he wasn't playing well and, and he wasn't aware that Joe Schmidt was actually working on his as well so really all in all when when you couple it with some of the stuff from the IRFU review I mean there were four big things that News 4 kind of shed some light on there were 50 recommendations in total he didn't go all in, into all of them he said some of them you'll find very boring and logistical but essentially you have the, the failure to evolve style of play which I guess is Joe Schmidt's decision. Uh, the performance anxiety and mental shortcomings, not all on on him, but maybe relates to some of the things that Rory Best is talking about there. Then underestimating Japan and getting their prep wrong for that first block two games with a six-day turnaround after the Scotland fixture. Again, that's probably in Joe Schmidt's court. Um, and then he talks about a need to keep developing Irish rugby players' skills, um, which is a, a, probably a bigger picture issue. Um, he insisted he wasn't trying to blame Joe Schmidt for this, but... 
I mean, it, it felt essentially like that at the time. Uh, interesting enough, News 4 was probably the only person who wasn't interviewed for the review. He's the performance director and he actually I- I interviewed all the, the coaching staff as well. So, yeah, a really remarkable day. And we're finally, I guess, getting a bit more light shed onto the World Cup and 2019 and what went wrong. Obviously, we've talked about Joe Schmidt's book and his interviews. It hasn't really given us any insight. And now you imagine if he's... You, you wonder rather if he's thinking maybe I should have been a bit more honest because everyone else is kind of hanging me out and, and throwing me under the bus. In our members WhatsApp group, Owen O'Sullivan makes the point, Bernard, that, you know, this is, we're supposed to have a team full of leaders. Is it just the case that those leaders that, that we've lauded all the way through 2018 and when they had control, as Beth says, the influence of, of, of Joe was just so much that they couldn't exert an influence or, or should they be able to anyway? Well, listen, a group a group should always have you know the capacity to to challenge and question and uh, I think Rory did take some blame on himself from what I read kind of saying that we should have maybe stood up and, and, and spoke more so I think I think it's you know it's easy to throw Joe under the bus uh, and he, he um, I think Everybody has to take responsibility for it, and, and part of that is your is your leadership group. If 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 you've developed a leadership group, you know in 2016, 17, 18, you know they should be your sounding board, and they should be able to to question. Also, he had a he had a support staff of a lot of other coaches as well, and heads of S and C, head of medical. I mean, there's a there's a responsibility on everybody to to say, whoa, stop. You know, this is too much. So, I, I, um, it's it's an interesting insight, and, and you know, for sure, it gives you um, you know some uh, some insight into where the players felt, and there was a lot of pressure and a lot of kind of last minute extras, etc., which potentially undermined them. Um, but again, I, I would say that you know the modern uh, the modern high performance environment is, you know player-driven, um, shared responsibility. And it's not even just modern, it's more current now, but I, I, I did something with Clive Woodward a couple of weeks ago and he spoke about 2003 World Cup final where, I don't know if you remember, it went extra time and he came down from the coach's box and he made his way out onto the pitch to the huddle to, to the English team to give instructions and, and Martin Johnson basically said, listen, stop, put his hand up and said, go back. We have, you know, we're going to run this. And, you know, he felt in some ways you could say, well, that was a slight on, on his ability to give them a key message. But his argument was, well, all the work they did over the previous five, six, seven years to, to give them ownership of it um, had come to a, a point where, you know, in, in a World Cup final, 20 minutes to go in extra time, they were willing to take responsibility for it. So it's not a modern, um, it's more talked about now, but it's been around for a long time. Mm. Um, so yeah, it is It is interesting. It, it's, I suppose it's great to hear different people's point of views on it because it has been pretty much, you know, kick, move on and not really talk about it. So um, definitely there's food for thought there. But I, I I think in hindsight in a couple of years time everyone will say we could we could have probably done things a little bit differently and, and what role did I play or not play in that you know when you have a bunch of ex- really experienced players who've been to World Cups before you can't afford to just let things slide if you feel that there's something that needs to change or be fixed you got to fix it there and then and um, I think you know that's the that's the big regret because it's all well and good doing a review and having 50 recommendations but the reality is some of those recommendations will be none avoid for the next World Cup because of the personnel you have and the coaches you have etc but it could be there could be 25 new ones you know that if they aren't addressed in the heat of the moment or pre or during World Cup you're going to another review, and you're getting another different set of uh, set of feedback um, points. So it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely interesting. I think you know the whole psychological aspect of it 
that David Nussifor spoke about for sure yeah but you always when teams aren't performing well you're looking for um, you're looking for for reasons and again it's been able to create that psychological environment where everyone feels confident comfortable um, and has real self-belief uh, you know it's easy to point the finger afterwards it's what you do during the week or the months that lead up to it and address that so it's uh, yeah it, it, it's good it's going to kick on now but at least you've got something mm. to, to get stuck into whereas up to now we've all been kind of just I suppose trying to put a point or put a, a cause behind it without any real information yeah the hindsight is it's always such an unfair thing yeah. to have to your advantage interesting enough though he said News 4 said that they surveyed the players before the World Cup that the coach had discussed a lot of these things that eventually transpired that they were almost aware okay the the lack of evolving in their style of play they discussed it they figured out let's get 10 or 15% better at what we're doing um, and that'll be good enough even with the, the mental side of it I mean everyone knows what Joe Schmidt is like he's very high pressure high intensity I mean that's what he's like at the last World Cup so you almost think well, why didn't they do more to actually take proactive steps it's easy for News 4 to sit there now uh, outline the reasons when they're probably quite aware of, of many of these things I mean the, the style of play issue has been talked about for years and years and obviously they did such a good job in, in 2018 it was very hard to move away from that he talked about the coaches being kind of risk assessors um, and trying to understand their strengths and weaknesses as well as the oppositions they decide to go down that route and he did admit even if we had changed it who knows what would happen so there, there you're actually pointing at the, the kind of narrative fallacy as Joe Schmidt terms it um, I just thought it was interesting that they probably knew that some of this stuff was a danger and, and essentially did nothing but maybe why not put in place structures where Joe, was, Joe Schmidt has agreed okay I'm going to let the players have that day and, and that's not going to change at this World Cup and I, and I totally agree about I mean, Owen's kind of pointing out in his question, like the leaders have to take a bit of responsibility for that. I think, in fairness, as you say, Rory Best did mention responsibility at one stage. But he also says, you know, if I'd known it was happening, I'd have stood up and said, look, I don't think we need this. Why didn't he do that? So I guess there's there's shared responsibility. And, and that's what News 4 was saying. But I don't think anyone who reads these reads this stuff, reads these quotes uh, from Best and from News 4 isn't going to think, OK, Joe Schmidt was at fault here. Bernard, you mentioned... In, in your answer there just about how there is a need to fix things as, as they happen at, at the World Cup and it nearly seems going back to Gavin's piece in the Times that Ireland did do that though <laughs> you know Rory Best talk about how in 2018 it was so player led and they had that time and space then they were a little bit over complacent coming into 2019 over coach post Twickenham player player led um, after Twickenham in August sorry player led up to and including the Scotland game and then suddenly they were her, yeah, they I reacted mean, to that somehow. I mean, I don't, I don't think they were, I don't think they were ever really player led. I think you know, I think Joe for those days. No, yeah, they were probably maybe maybe they had more control or more say. But the problem is, if you're not performing well, then you lose. There's a tendency to lose the right to to have a, a comfortable, you know, a relaxed environment, and uh, coaches then second guess the team a little bit and wonder you know are they actually ready and, and you know you're, the morning New Zealand game you know you're not going into that game on a, on a lot of confidence because of our performances and uh, and it is tempting for a coach to say look at can we just you know cover this again because I want to make sure you have all the detail so it's not like detail has never been a part of of this Irish team's um, journey it has been a massive part of it and it's been the one that we'd all be talking about and uh, you know probably even maybe arrogant about how detailed we are and how much we know uh, the opposition how much we how well we know our own game and how everyone's role is so clear and specific and um, you know it's become it, it's it's 
transferred into corporate world and, and, and the Irish team are an example of that but uh, so they maybe had more more of a be- probably maybe a better relationship between the coaching and the, and the senior player group or, uh, and more trust but it wasn't you know you can't say in 2018 that Joe didn't have a massive effect uh, on our success you know and it was all player led and then throw him under the bus in 2019 uh, so I'm not like I'm not saying that he's not uh, implicated in it but it's a bit rich to go yeah we were brilliant in 2018 because we ran it and then 2019 we were poor because you know the coaches took over I don't think that's that's very fair um, That's ju- maybe that's Rory's opinion on it today but uh, I, I think other players and, and you know other coaches will, will be maybe a little bit more uh, I suppose reflective and go well look at it just it's it's just little one percenters all the way along, you know. You lose this, you know, area of of, of dominance. You're a little bit uh, your set piece isn't as, as as good as it was. You're, you're leaking a couple of penalties, confidence drops. You know, attritional game plan. That the opposition have worked out. Maybe lack of self belief. Maybe lack of competition. You know, maybe some senior players getting picked on on past form, uh, and that erodes the the confidence level. The, the guys who aren't getting picked, seeing the the guys getting picked not performing and feeling they deserve a chance and suddenly that team harmony and, and cohesion and everyone feels they're part of it diminishes and, and suddenly you know you're way off and that's that's it but uh, like uh, I can understand yeah for sure Joe's coaching style is is to basically micromanage everything um, and again you know that's been very successful and will be successful again it's just the overall balance of the the leadership amongst amongst the coaching staff you know you maybe did a couple of different personalities um, within that people who aren't afraid to challenge him maybe the manager and the senior players uh, they're all they're all involved in it and they're, and they're all responsible for it you know um, like I, I just think definitely yeah the players might have had more say in 2018 but it wasn't completely player led you know I, I doubt that and I never heard I never you know I never heard that said about Joe Schmidt type teams that they are coached to the absolute inch mm-hmm. and um on the field for sure they can make decisions about where to kick the corner and things like that but they have a basically a roadmap for every part of, of the game and you know we were we were basically praising that and now just because we've lost we've had a poor World Cup to say that's that, that was the wrong way or that didn't happen uh, it's not how I, I've seen it to be honest yeah le- what, what do you think of that in terms of game plan yeah I mean uh, personally I'm one, not one who has a strong belief in, in how a game should be played I don't think you have to offload or counter attack if, yeah. if that's not the way to do it there obviously should be a certain amount of decision making freedom for players and Joe Schmidt always insisted that was there it probably wasn't to, to, to the other side of things from hearing from players who've worked with him probably from other coaches as well but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong way to play I, I don't really go along with that um, failure to evolve I think they actually just didn't execute on what they were trying to do like mm-hmm. I actually agree with Joe Schmidt if you look at those opportunities in the New Zealand game for example they, they did create stuff um, maybe you do need to add little tweaks and layers but I'm not quite sure that was the reason that the, the World Cup didn't go I have a counter opinion I think actually in the Six Nations he may have given them a little bit more freedom and actually let them play what's in, what's in front of them mm. and we saw that that didn't work out as well so then obviously you know what's your reaction to that do you just could keep doing that or you say okay let's go back to where we were at and then obviously maybe overemphasizing you're more you're more controlling and the pressure of a world cup and being in camp for so long and maybe you know the results not going as well as you would like you know pressure from external sources and and the fear of not achieving what you believe was a 
a realistic goal mm. a year ago of maybe getting a semi-final or a final when you realise in the heat of the moment something that you've waited for four years for isn't actually maybe going to happen and, and, and the negative effect of that so I don't I actually you know I think that in, in the Six Nations maybe they were allowed to play a little bit more um, what they saw and it wasn't it didn't come naturally to them quickly we didn't get the the, the short term uh, euphoria you get from winning with that style and, and then obviously they went back in, 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 in the summer and said okay this is this is basically how we're going to play and, and there's no real room for for decision making that it's it's basically follow the plan and but again because you haven't been successful when you give them a bit more freedom you lose the right and it's it's a very tricky um, it's a very tricky one to balance mm. yeah that level of detail is certainly yeah. nothing new I think we remember Paul O'Connell after the Australia game that was Joe's second in charge he was complaining about how the players felt overloaded and they weren't able to express the same levels of intensity mm. that they, they certainly reached the following week when they played New Zealand it all leads us kind of back to the anxiety thing I mean Keen Highland in the members WhatsApp group again asks how does Ireland's mental approach differ from others and uh, what, what what is the benchmark how, how do other teams approach this sort of big game mentality yeah well I guess the prime example of someone going undergoing a kind of mental journey is the All Blacks after t- 2007 when they bombed out of that quarter final and it was a deep trauma for not only rugby but the whole country it seemed at the time and they've invested a huge amount into I guess being upfront about how they were going to improve their mentality um, like Ireland have done ment- like we mentioned and Enda McNulty he's a performance coach who's been with them for most of the Schmidt reign he was over in Japan we don't know exactly how that worked from what I understand it was quite informal they chat to players in between sessions that whoever wanted could go and have a discussion with him obviously Joe Schmidt himself is big on mental skills he ran that kind of mind gym thing where sometimes they'd even guide players through that um, and, and encourage them to run through plays in their mind rather than probably think about those bigger picture issues they did a lot of mindfulness stuff as well but Nusifora's viewpoint was that when they got to the top and Steve Hansen probably warned everyone of this. They beat the All Blacks in November and he said, let's see how they handle being the top dogs and everyone else chasing them down. Nusifor's reflection, again, with hindsight, is that Ireland weren't able to manage that. That As soon as that England game, he didn't mention the England game specifically. Best but he agreed, said, I think, as well. The which? Best agrees, I think, as well, that after that um, 2018 that they went into the Six Nations, went off to Portugal thinking a little, that they were ahead of themselves a little. Yeah, so once they had a setback in the Six Nations, that... It, it rattled them and then the anxiety started to build all the way towards the World Cup and you had the Wales game at the end of Six Nations obviously contrib- contributing heavily to it as well so that it did sap them of belief and, and they weren't able to handle that being at the top so my sense from him he didn't go into detail what's going to happen next but it does sound like they're going to beef up this side of it invest more into it as you would with any other skill because obviously the mental part of it is as important as any I, I think I remember Wayne Smith from, from the All Blacks talking about a stool and if you take away one of the, the kind of the uprights the, the whole stool is going to fall over and a key one of those is the mental side of it so you've got to put in that prep and I guess now reflecting on it the RFU feel that they didn't invest enough support around both the players and also the coaches because he mentioned that twice that the coaches get, get that stress factor as well more so than anyone I would say they're very highly stressed people I'm not sure what you were like Bernard but some of these Irish coaches certainly let it, let it get on top of them and, and it becomes almost obsessive so I think that's going to be a big for me it was the most interesting part of what he discussed yesterday and I think that'll be a big thing going forward uh, over the next four years is is adding to what they have in the pathway in terms of skill and tactical and physical development and maybe putting more time and energy into into focusing on the mental side of it. 
is it as simple as, as hearing a new voice on, on that mental side? I mean, Enda McNulty's uh, been in that camp a, yeah, no, a long time. Oh, Enda, so Enda, I worked with Enda in, in Leinster. Checker brought him in in 2009 um, after we lost a cast in a in a group stage of, of the Heining Cup and we looked like we were going to blow um, another opportunity to, to maybe win a, a Heining Cup. And... I think the team were receptive to it then because we'd reached a, a low point. We had a, we'd won the uh, Magnus League in 2008. We signed Easton Sea with Rocky Elson, CJ Van Linde. We had a Driscoll, Horgan, etc. We had a you know an, a, an all-star team, but and we kind of felt okay. Now we're going to go and and, um, and and win win the European Cup, and then we lose to Cast in the group stage, and it looked like we might even qualify. And so the team were receptive to that you know mental. Um, mental psychology uh, expertise and some triggers to try and help you get you know to deal with setbacks in game and, and um, to stay in the flow etc so that it was really beneficial for us and so that was 2009 so you know 10 years later um, he's, he's he's worked with probably most of the internationals um, in the in the setup, and so there's probably a lot of familiarity there and, and some really good cues I think the big thing is and I think Irish players are are very strong mentally. I think that's something. Um, having worked in Wales and France, I mean the 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 access players have and the understanding players have of of what resilience looks like, about what composure looks like, um, of how to deal with adversity is very strong here. And and um, there's already really good programs at academy levels. You know, I don't think there's any player coming out of academy here who hasn't had access to that. Um, Again, I think the coaches have a huge influence in 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 whether the environment, I suppose, creates that psych- psychological safety is, is what's called as um, you know the freedom to give your opinion without any repercussions, um, and then obviously in the squad that ability to challenge and 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 hold people to account without um, without becoming a, a negative or, or distraction and. Um, for sure, I think the teams evolve. You know, the guy that All Blacks use is, is Gilbert Anoka, um, and they've spent a huge amount of time. The problem for the All Blacks is is they very rarely get chances to test it because they're very rarely under the pump in games. Yeah, and that's the and the problem for them is it's pretty much every four years where there's maybe a ten minute block where they have to actually show resilience and and uh, and composure. And obviously, England caught them on the hop. This year, so New Zealand have invested a load of money and a load of resource and a load of time into into making the teams more rental, their players and teams more rental, mentally robust. And it's not an exact science. I mean, they they arguably shouldn't have beaten France in a World Cup final. They looked like they were, mm. um, they were, uh, they're what do you call it? Um, choking under pressure in that game, but they managed to win. Maybe the referee helped them in that. Uh, and obviously, they've won a couple of World Cups for sure, but they've always had the, probably the best team. And then this year, you know, England beat them in a in a semi final. And if you looked at the New Zealand team you would have said they were choking um, there was you know a mental weakness there but it was based on 80 minutes you know and I think the Irish team uh, they're definitely mentally strong um, but for sure whatever resources or, or areas that they feel they underperformed in you need to look at how much resource and how much time you're going to put that and being mentally stronger um, and being more resilient is an absolute key criteria of, of being successful so uh, you know I would agree from with, with David Nusifor's, um with point and if that was something that they felt internally from the feedback from the, the 50 people who were on the trip or whatever that they didn't get right well then you need to look at you know what the plan is for the next four years but it's one of those ones as well that when you lose a game you know 
it's an easy one to say oh we're not mentally tough enough you know yeah. what I mean and yeah. it, I wouldn't blame all of it on that because I said I think these players are mentally tough but potentially that was a that was another area that we're a little bit off and we didn't have real cohesion and alignment and added to the game plan and maybe lack of form of, of strong players maybe leadership group not feeling they had the the uh, the authority to challenge they all add up to what's what turns out to be a horrendous performance in, in a quarter final hmm. there's always more than one reason yeah. it's always many things and even if you look at the All Blacks like you, you're right they spent years trying to build it up but you can look at that England match and go okay they actually lost the head there Sam Whitelock shoving own fire on the head yeah. something like that so it's not an exact science at all yeah and also like getting player feedback it depends on what mood they're in I remember that famous uh, camp in um, in Enfield the Rob Kearney challenged Munster players we had spent the whole morning in little mini groups basically critiquing the setup, and it was like absolute nonsense half it you know what I mean oh this bus driver's grumpy and stuff that isn't irrele- is, is irrelevant mm. to to actually the big picture of winning international test ma- or matches but if you've got a if you're coming from a place where you feel vulnerable and don't feel confident you pick up on those little little triggers you know so um, again and again like uh, I'm sure that the 31 players on that trip they all have a different reason and I suppose the challenge for New Sephora and, and Fire is to, is to wade through the vast amount of information they're going to get and go actually what's relevant you know, and what's concurrent. We might finally move on from yeah. the, the World Cup at some point or uh, get over it maybe. <laughs> uh, There's another book out for, and then we'll be back. For, for yeah. now, we'll just move it to one side because it's December and the uh, European back-to-backs are here. Normally at this time of the year, we're kind of trying to move on from a November, be it good, bad or indifferent for, for internationals. But thankfully... The Rugby World Cup year has brought us a thick and fast competition. Four rounds in five, six weeks, whatever the whatever the count is at the minute. Um, we'll look ahead to the back-to-back games. Then this weekend we'll start in reverse order. I think Gav does it a different way, but it's my show today. <laughs> so uh, Gloucester, Gloucester against Connacht. Uh, Gloucester seem to be done and dusted with this competition are they they'll roll over and let Connacht uh, march on their way uh, you'd have to think that they're not going to invest 100% energy in and I think they've been up front enough about that obviously playing when they're playing at home they're going to be putting everything into it but I would imagine their priorities have, sh- have shifted quite considerably on after losing their first two games in, in fairly disappointing fashion and I think it pre- presents a real opportunity for Connacht to potentially win those back-to-back games obviously Montpellier and Toulouse are going to be trading blows in their kind of heavyweight contests and you know it might work out in Connacht's favour if, if they kind of do exactly that and, and come out of it on, on even Stephen kind of so I think if, if Connacht can win these two games they're, they're really set up well it still would be a, a massive achievement we said it right at the outset that if they get out of the group it's going to be a really impressive performance but the opportunity is now that little bit more enticing um, and I'll be fascinated to see how they go this weekend even something like Conor Fitzgerald and, and Jack Hardy which we've been talking about a lot um, I'll be interested to see how that goes and, and what re- role both of them plays because because Conor Fitzgerald has been excellent but I think Jack Hardy still has a lot of skills and, and maybe now has that heat underneath him that do you unleash him back in and, and get that response as well there's loads of positive aspects for, for Connacht heading into this and yeah it is it is exciting that they're definitely right in the mix I know it's only two games in but you had had that fear maybe that if they lost at home against Montpellier in the first round that they'd be out of, out of sight really but they're here and it's definitely there for them 
it makes for a, a tantalising Sunday lunchtime j- just the way Connacht have been playing the way they've approached these yeah. two rounds no no Connacht, Connacht are playing some, some great stuff but Gloucester from an attacking point of view are, are a joy to watch as well I watched them against Quinns um, on uh, last weekend in the stoop you know they, they lost narrowly but when C- if Cipriani plays it's going to really ask different questions of Connacht's defence than they get in a, in a normal Pro 14 game I think he's probably the most natural attacking uh, 10 in, in in the world I think in terms of what he does and how he sets people up um, in and around him so that would be a, a really fascinating um, challenge for, for the Connacht defence if he, if he plays um, they are a little bit flaky they're definitely vulnerable I mean they sh- but in fairness having said that they should have beaten Toulouse in round one just their line malfunctioned um, incredibly and, and they have lots of individual talent it's just sometimes you wonder you know the mental side of it you know, go back to it again it's just <laughs> when you put them under massive pressure they, they sometimes find a way to lose rather than win more often than not and that's that's something that must be very frustrating for, for Johan Ackerman and, and David Humphries because they've they've given them a lot of the right tools to 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 be successful so um, I think Connor can go there and do a job I, I agree with Murray I think you know Jack Carty needs to get a chance at some stage and, and it's great that Conor Fitzgerald has been so impressive but I thought Jack was very good off the bench last weekend um, against the Kings he's, he's probably the, mo- the most natural kicker of the ball in, in Irish rugby it's like it's on a piece of string sometimes and um, you know him and Marmion they're not going to stay on the bench for, 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 for the whole season they need a crack and uh, um, you know maybe Jack gets the chance this weekend in a game where probably experience at 10 will will be important and, and uh, um, you know it'll be a great opportunity for him to come back and, and uh, lay down his marker but um, it's going to be uh yeah, it's going to be a great game and, and, and Connacht can win there and, and, and win back to back and go into the last two rounds of life Murray what's Connacht's uh, lengthy injury list like at the minute I've had me head in a press under the stairs all week yeah it's it's easy certainly I mean a lot of the sh- injuries were very short term actually talking to Tiernan O'Halloran about it he said it was great because he had about 14 or 15 guys in, in the kind of injured club with him at one stage so they were having great crack but it's definitely eased away I'm not sure exactly who they haven't quite given definitive timelines for, for who's back when but it has eased up a little bit and now they again have options in, in several positions on the pitch and and that's brilliant. I mean, the out have one is is a perfect example, but um, they won't be going under strength. They'll obviously miss guys like O'Halloran and he's back in the in the new year. Paddy McAllister is a bit of a longer term one as well. But um, these are the games that players need to be involved in. There's only potentially six of them in in a season in European competition, so you're you're going to get guys who are pushing very hard to get back into it. And yeah, expect them to have a, a pretty strong team out. Moving on to Saturday evening, it could be the big game of the weekend, or it could be a uh, one side showing how much they care about Europe, and one one side maybe showing uh, how little they they care about yeah, the competition. I think tomorrow's um, team announcement from Saracens yeah. is what everyone's waiting for. You know, then <clears throat> straight away um, how big a test is going to be, and if it did, if they put out their their best team that's the clash of the weekend for me um, Tom and Park you know real threat to Munster's um, ability to stay in the competition an English team coming the champions of, of Europe um, and that would be a, that would be for me the, the game I, I'd, I'd want to watch if I only had a choice of one um, I think they'll send a, a, a good team I think they rested players and the circumstances that led to them sending that team to Racing you know it's probably the perfect storm for Racing in terms of getting that opportunity to get a, a bonus point win Saracens last weekend against Bass um, were, were impressive um, they obviously you know they're obviously still in the competition and, and you started to see and listen to Mark McCall's 
language change a little bit. You know, if we get to the quarterfinal, you know, we'll, mm. we, you know, we'd fancy our chances. And I think for this team, they're used to winning trophies, but to actually, and I talk about making memories, and that's a big part of their kind of culture. But for them to to stay up, which they will, you know, is 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 a milestone. And and maybe even they're probably setting their targets a little bit higher to say, can we make European Cup again? But to win a European Cup on the back of you know what's happening off the field, uh, and you guys like you know. Um, like own fire, etc. Like uh, and Toje, they would relish those opportunities. So I, I think they're still very dangerous. And if they if they do qualify, um, you wouldn't back against them. You know, for three more games, they know to play cup rugby. Um, so this is a big test for for Munster, and it's a huge ask to to try and break down that that Saracens defence for for Larkham, um, given he's in the job so so uh, such a short period of time, and he missed players. If they send their best best team you know it'll be it'll be very difficult yeah can't wait for this one and as Brennan said it's that team announcement we've never had more anticipation for one I can't see how they won't send a strong team yeah. like, there's just so much there for them I can't imagine sitting down on fire and saying listen I'm going to send over the the kind of second string team he, ju- he just would love he'd relish this opportunity go to Tone Park this famed fortress where Munster are so rarely beaten but almost vulnerable now because Rassing showed Rassing should have won that game uh, and I think Saracens would love that opportunity Etoje Vunifo brothers getting on top of that the, obviously the home sports can be incredible as it always is they've boosted up the capacity um, for this game but I can't see how they wouldn't take this on to, and then essentially maybe rest a couple at home next weekend if they win away to Munster that's just huge in the whole group and I really do think Munster are vulnerable here I think if Saracens go full strength I'd actually back them to win this game I, I can't see how Munster have developed quickly enough to, to overcome that that gap that was there in, in the last two semi-finals you mentioned that defence like I know guys were just back in and they probably lacked some fluidity when they played Bath last weekend but their defence was absolutely awesome some silly penalties obviously and Maratoja's yellow card was an absolutely bizarre one I don't know what he thought he was doing but they muscled up so well in, in a lot of those exchanges and physically kind of dominated them and then were just clinical and taking penalty chances going forward really efficient performance um, yeah and I and I I'd, if I was in their shoes I think it could be such an invigorating part of their season really lift the whole thing off they obviously are on the back foot with the points deduction the the massive fine um, and everyone taking absolute glee in in their downfall but this would be a massive statement and yeah I will actually be a bit shocked if they they don't have their full strength team or close to it indeed when they name it tomorrow yeah they'll qualify like they'll go they'll get 10 points from the two matches against the Ospreys they already have 5 they'll beat Racing in, in London they'll you have to fancy to beat Munster next week so they win this week they'll qualify either as top or, or best place they'll have 22 points I think um, at the end of it so like they're very much alive but it comes down to, to this weekend you know if they lose this weekend it'll be it'll be difficult for them so uh, I expect them to send a very strong team and I, I just be so f- I can't wait to see how Larkham and Van Graham uh, but Larkham from an attacking point of view try and break down that defence you know um, I think you have to get around it but um, it, it's just it's very hard to put together a plan in a week, um, and also depends on your on your skill set to to be able to get around it and, and and get down that channel, the outside channel. So and if you can't, then you play in between the two fifteens. You don't win because they absolutely batter you. And Munster have seen it's not the first rodeo for Munster. They've you know they've had two semi-finals where they've tried to play them, you know, off nine. And it's been, I'd say, demoralising because just the sheer physicality of it. And um, you know, I remember the moment in the last year semi-final where I think Billy 
Billy Bunapola, you know, he, he takes a pick and goal a couple of yards out, two monster players smash him, and he puts the ball down one handed and he's looking up the referee like smiling. And it's just that sheer power they have. So you got to be smart against them um, and just bring in that passion and physicality. It's a prerequisite to win, but you also have to, I think, play with a little bit more uh, ambition and, and obviously Munster are trying to evolve that so that, that's going to be really interesting Yeah, big day for several of the individuals none more so than JJ Hanry who spoke really well this week they had him up on a Tuesday rather for media and he spoke about the drop goal he should have taken his opportunity moving on past it as quickly as he could and, and getting back on the horse as he described it but he struck me as a really relaxed and content and confident even after a mistake like that and he seems to be in a super place under Larkham he spoke about how under Larkham's kind of system they've taken a bit of responsibility away from the 10s there's more onus on Rory Scanlon and Chris Farrell to organise around Hanry and I think you're seeing his running game flourish again because of that because there's less clutter in his mind there's more decision making going on around him which I think is a great model to have Larkham himself mentioned he wants his 10s to be a threat he wants him to not worry about carrying into contact and what are they going to do when I'm in on the ground we've seen it with obviously multiple first receivers as well so it's fascinating to see how that development matches up yeah, I think the Saracens event is, is just so strong. I'd be surprised if Munster can consistently break it down, but I think they do recognise they have to throw those shots more often. They have to use more than directness and, and passion to, to overcome a team as good as Sarri. So it is going to be a fascinating matchup. Two hours before the 5.30 kickoff at Thoman Park will be uh, the 15-15 kickoff in, in Ravenhill, also against Harlequins. It's uh, all about one man, really, isn't it? The second coming of JC, John Cooney. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he's he's on fire. Um, I thought, you know, he's 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 taken the, re- the rejection and and uh, disappointment of not making a World Cup squad, and he's come back to Ulster and he's been ele- he's been excellent. So is Kutsia, so is McCluskey. Uh, you know, I, l- I had a look yesterday at Ulster's game um, in detail, and I thought McCluskey obviously, you know, everyone knows he gets you over the game line, but. Um, Kicking game, the, you know his, his pass, uh, his pass for Balakloon's, uh try was, you know, really ambitious and, and really accurate, and um, I just think he's flir- he's flourishing, and you can, you know, in a team that maybe don't have as many local lads as as in the past, you know, having someone like him who's so abrasive um, and 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 gives you kind of such momentum in the game is really important, and uh, yeah, Cooney Cooney for sure is on is on fire, but uh, you know, there's those three that those other two I mentioned um, are pretty key as well. Yeah, it's really interesting following Ulster at the moment. I was at the Pro 14 event there last week, I think it was. And had a chance to sit down with Dan McFarlane for a chat away to the side and, and talked a bit about the kind of his he's he's obviously a, he's qualified in psychology and that side of it is huge. Um and they've put a big focus on that and they've been really honest with themselves. There's far more blunt feedback. The players are being critical of each other with a view to improving the team and people are more open to it. Um obviously he has this fight for inches mentality and kind of squeezing every drop out every bit of training or every bit of uh, analysis they do so it feels like there's a real energy around Ulster again I don't think they've been perfect by any means in the in the two wins so far obviously away to Bath it was really gritty and built on their defence and then Clermont were really shambolic I thought when they came to Raven and Hill, Kingspan rather um, and Ulster did enough to win that game so I feel they have, a, they have a bit more to go and Quinns at home is a perfect opportunity really Quinns coin aren't they're under Gustard yet they're talking a lot about what they want to do we don't see as much evidence of it on the pitch they're not a very mature team I wouldn't think in terms of how they try to play the game definitely have those threats but 
what a great chance for Ulster to to find that more complete performance and, and go three from three put themselves really in the driving seat maybe not with, with home advantage but is there real danger for Ulster on the on the flip fixture next week as I said the performances haven't been fully there as impressive as the results on paper have been away win in um in Bath and at home to Claremont yeah I'd come in I actually think they, they'll do back to back I think they're, they're good enough to go back to back against Quinns I think they have you know more experience probably more clarity and and will we'll, we'll want to get something out of Europe more um, so I, I think they'll they'll land a psychological blow to, to Quinns um, this weekend and you know they're good enough to go like I know they might have like they weren't brilliant against Bath or they weren't brilliant against Claremont but if you look at the, the raw materials of a phenomenal goal kicker a very well organised kicking game a, a good defence a dominant scr- a dangerous scrum that you can win penalties on your own ball and, and, and force turnovers and if you line up all to kick to the corner you'd, you'd back him to, to score off so that's that's a pretty good uh, set of fundamentals to go away from home to a premiership team who aren't you know in the in the top two uh, in England you know I'd say Exeter and Saracens are, are a step above uh, the rest at the moment so I, I think Ulster um, will will really profit over the next next two weeks and, and uh, build some real momentum and, and lay down a big marker to, to qualify Speaking of fundamentals to win away from home that's exactly what Leinster showed last time out uh, against the top 14 leaders this time they, they go away to face the Premiership leaders Northampton Saints how do you see that one unfolding Murray? It's a very different fixture this time around. I mean, I think Leinster are six from seven against Northampton in Europe, as far as I'm aware. And, and in the past, you've almost maybe taken for granted at times. But this Northampton team is really renewed under Chris Boyd. They've been really thrilling to watch. Um, obviously, their big win over Leicester last weekend was a prime example of that, although you worry about how Tigers are going and where they're going. They're in, in danger in the Premiership. But Boyd has kind of installed a new mentality around their style of play, nor uh, often under Malander Northampton were quite direct quite blunt they're playing to with now under Boyd and Sam Vesti actually was getting rave reviews as their attack coach and I think Eddie Jones is kind of sniffing around as well so Boyd is warning to get his hands off they have a crop of kind of younger players who are developing within the club as well as some older kind of star names like someone like Kobus Reinach who's so pacey and when he scoots off those rocks um, and scored 12 tries I think last year as well good, really good finisher you've got a big um, athlete like Nair Voro on the wing he's 6'5 130kg big Fijian guy who just blasts through tackles can offload so they're really fun to watch um, and they do have a bit of grit as well like you, you think of guys like Tamana Harrison the captain I think Courtney Laws will be missing uh, this weekend and Dan Bigger probably come back from injury uh, he had a toe injury uh, last weekend so they have those players who can provide that solidity that mental toughness as well um, but they're a whole lot of fun to watch at the moment they're obviously topping the Premiership they've won their first two games in Europe even winning against Lyon w- was impressive and then they ground out and, and kind of clawed their way to a 35-32 win away to Benetton who are no pushovers anymore so it is a, a more serious challenge than maybe it would have been in, in seasons gone past where Northampton declined away and um, it is always that it is always that next step up against Leinster or Saracens I think they're the two teams in that top bracket where they can bring it to that test level intensity and and really test your ability to cope with severe pressure so I'll be fascinated to see how Northampton handle it but uh, again it could be a, an absolutely brilliant fixture Those, yeah. those Leinster internationals co- coming back they've really played into a kind of a, a slow steady 
rigid game that that they've presented whereas the the younger crop coming up behind have been playing a more expansive thing but that could suit them yeah well, I think listen I think it's perfectly set up for for Leo and, and, and Stuart Lancaster in terms of you know it would have been very hard to to really I suppose convince the players that they weren't good enough to go to Leon and get a win given how poor Leon have been in Europe and the stodgy kind of slow game they play whereas you know the, the preview of, of Northampton's attack you know would would excite you you know as from a defensive point of view and I think Leinster they'd be very aware that they have Northampton have improved and maybe it's the game or the, or the back-to-back game is that that Leinster Internationals the World Cup players kind of need to get them properly back into into provincial mode you know I think they they're obviously you know impressive result against Benetton but there was a, a lot of elements of the game that definitely they wouldn't have been happy with Leon you know good result on paper but again the performance probably wasn't you, you didn't watch that game and go wow Leinster put your money on Leinster to win the, the Champions Cup but they will be massive contenders for it and I think they can they can send down a real marker um, this week and also the form of the of the of the second string is just so impressive so then there will be internal pressure that you know when will Leo give a couple of those guys a chance and I think psychologically you know they, the the guys who get the jersey this week will know um, it's really important they put in a big performance or or because the game the following week at home is is it, if Leinster win this week the game at home is a tempting game to maybe give Will Connors a, a run or, or Hugo Keenan etc because they have been really good so I think that internal competition in Leinster the fact that Northampton sh- are showing signs of of being a team uh, with big potential uh, will get the best out of Leinster and they'll go there and and, and bring that intensity and you know I think. It, for me, the, the the most pleasing thing about Leinster was the win against Glasgow. Was at the end where Glasgow went thirty one phases trying to get a bonus point, and Leinster forced him into touch and the celebration. So you can see a team who have real pride in, in what they want to achieve, and um, I, I think that defensive strength of Leinster will would be different than Northampton face on a week to week basis in in Europe than they would have faced against Treviso. In fairness to them, even though they're they're much improved um, they would struggle against the the attacking shape of, of Northampton and Leon. You know, were were a joke the, the, in the first round and gave away you know a ridiculous amount of penalties and and wouldn't be suited at all to the high tempo Northampton brings. So this is a big test for Northampton, but I expect Leinster to to step up and and you know and, and quash that that exuberance and that ambition that they're playing with. That defensive cohesion you talk about game despite the seventeen from twenty three changes to make game on game. Who among those younger second string, we'll call them for now, is uh, leading the charge to break in for maybe a home fixture, maybe an away fixture in in Europe? Yeah, I think Bernard's mentioned it there. Will Connor's none more so than anyone else. He's been exceptional. His tackling mm. quality is just unbelievably consistent unbelievably impactful Sam Underhill like in terms of how low he's getting and, and the quality the, the connection he's getting obviously putting his body at risk but he, he's accepting that happily Keenan's been impressive fullback Jimmy O'Brien's done well with his opportunities obviously Ross Byrne as well you know Johnny Sexton is the, the number one with club and, with province and country obviously but Byrne has been excellent when he's played and you can see how much he's grown into the leadership of the team you see him even before the match where he's the one talking in the, in the huddles you can see him barking lads giving them a bit of maybe constructive feedback as well out in the pitch even if they're slightly older players as well so really the ho- that whole second string I mean you can name 10 or 15 names probably of people who will feel they actually genuinely deserve those opportunities I mean it must be frustrating for someone like Connors to, to be playing so well um, and obviously a, a number eight even they have that decision with Doris back now as well and Deegan having impressed two 
fine, fine prospects for, for number eight, even potentially at, at international level. So there's a whole host of decisions there and it would be nice for Leinster to give themselves that little bit of breathing room to, to maybe filter a couple of those guys in. Yeah, we had an email in during the week from Jack McKeown Bennett who sent us a video of the Leinster School Senior Cup quarterfinal uh, of 2014 and was asking for a little side-by-side comparison of Will Connor's uh, performance against James Ryan. But <laughs> we're just going to run out of time before before we get to do that today. Prediction time, lads. Four wins from four against English opposition. I'm going to say three, but if Saracens come full strength, I'll go for a Saracens win there. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I think um, that's the that's the big danger one. I think the others, uh, I fancy the others to win, but Munster are going to be under the pump in in, in Limerick um, if if Saracens send their best best team. But they're good enough. To, they've done it before. They've they've often stepped up and and overachieved based on uh, on form. But this is a big test. Three plus, we'll say. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we have uh, for the 42 Rugby Weekly this week. Uh, myself and Murray will be back for a members podcast on Monday. Until then, go easy. Enjoy the rugby. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is coming Rugby, Rugby Weekly. Little reverse pass. When the room is spinning and the words aren't sticking